I always say my number one thing, I have like these four steps in the course, relationship, emotional vocabulary, physical input. Um, and that has to do with like the brain and sensory needs and then shifting attention. First thing is always relationship first. Focus on your ability to influence your child as opposed to trying to control your child. And when our kids feel safe with us and they know we're in their corner, that's when we can start working with them to say like, hey, like my middle, my daughter, hey girl, this is not working. You're clearly not interested in this. So there are certain things we have to get done. She doesn't see me as badgering her anymore because I've invested so much in our relationship now. So now it's like a a team effort. Welcome to the Homeschool CEO Podcast, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs who want to successfully homeschool their kids while running a profitable business. In this podcast, we'll reveal the truth of what it really looks like behind the scenes of an entrepreneur who homeschools and how to make it all work. If you're an entrepreneur who currently homeschools or you want to start, you are in the right place, my friend. With 16 years experience combining entrepreneurship with homeschooling, I'm your host, Jen Myers, and this is the Homeschool CEO Podcast. I am so excited to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome, Lindsay. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience today? Okay. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Lindsay LaFisca, and I am a homeschool mama of 10 years I've been homeschooling. I started, uh, I went to graduate school 20 years ago to be a teacher. And when I was in graduate school, I knew I was going to be a homeschool mama. So that just kind of happened. And we've been doing it for more than 10 years now. Uh, I have uh, three kids. I have a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and we have a six-year-old. And the six-year-old is what basically propelled everything that I do now. Um, We adopted a little boy six years ago, and he just radically changed our world, our lives, introduced us to the world of children that have cognitive differences, special needs. He has rocked our world and rocked me as a mother, as a woman, as a homeschool mama, as a just in every way. Um, and so he was like the spark that just got everything going, everything that I do. I am a homeschool coach and a mom and a parenting coach for moms navigating the really challenging behaviors and of, of our children that have, that think and process the world differently, but it also just overflows perfectly to homeschooling. And it's, it's funny because people want to say, are you a homeschool coach? are you a parenting coach? And I'm like, well, it's, it's all the same. It's really all the same because once you know about the brain, once you know these differences in children, you know, it just transfers over to everything. So that's a little bit about me. I have a business called a heart for all students. And I tend to focus on supporting moms so that they can support their kind of outside the box kids. That's what I do. I love that. And you know, when you, it really resonated with me when you said people ask you, what do you do? Are you a homeschool coach? Are you a parenting coach? Because I get the same thing with homeschool CEO. And I'm like, you know, really, I'm just a coach for parents, for moms who want to take their life to the next level. And they happen to homeschool and run a business at the same time. Yes. Yes. So I completely get what you're saying with that. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I know a lot of where you are right now really started back, you said, when you adopted your little boy. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey back at the beginning? Yeah. um, So like I said, my husband and I, we had our two daughters pretty fairly easily. And then 
about when my middle daughter was about five years old, we decided we wanted to try again. She might've been like four, getting close to five. We decided we wanted to try again. And we went through basically a series of secondary infertility. Um, I ended up delivering a daughter halfway through my pregnancy, um, which was just rocked my world at that time so much. And it was incredibly, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was a terrible, terrible time, but it was a very, very sweet time with my relationship with God and my, uh, just my journey as a mother and just had to, I just learned so much in that time and really had to grieve and kind of just, it was a very painful time. So that journey of infertility led us, my husband and I at the same time to decide we were going to grow our family through adoption. And so that happened fairly quickly. We were home study ready, um, which is basically when you're legally ready and approved to adopt at the end of August. And he was born December. So just a couple months later happened very quickly. We found out two days before he was born that he was coming and we went, drove down for, you know, 10 hours to Florida and we met him. He was delivered just, a, we weren't able to get there in time. So uh, we saw him about 18 hours after he was born and his transition into our home was relatively easy. He was such an easy baby. Interestingly enough, I remember talking to a girlfriend of mine, we were in a homeschool co-op together and she was pregnant with her fourth. She was just about to deliver. And I'll never forget it. This statement of hers because life changed so quickly thereafter. And I remember her saying like two days before her daughter was born, she said, Oh, I just pray that my little one is going to be just an easy baby, like your boy. And I remember thinking, Oh, it'll be great. It'll be fine. And sure enough, she had that easy baby. And then my boy, he hit 18 months and life changed. He very soon at 18 months, he stopped sleeping completely. He started, as he started to move, he, um, there was nothing he wouldn't touch, nothing he couldn't get into. He screamed literally from the second he was awake to the second he went to bed, which was basically never, he screamed all day long. And in that earlier time, and I'm talking scream, high pitch scream, like torture technique. So I had no sleep. We probably, my husband and I got in that season, it was at least 365 days straight where we maybe got two hours at a time, maybe because he would escape his room um, and he had such dangerous behaviors. It was like, as soon as he became mobile and I, now I know as soon as he had his own thoughts and ideas that he wanted to communicate and he couldn't just, things just started to spiral. And um, I mean, climbed, got into everything, chewed on batteries. I remember taking a remote control and putting duct tape around it and putting it on the top, top shelf of the media center. And he would get that. I mean, hung from a two-story foyer, run into the middle of the street because he saw a car coming. It was, it was really, it was so hard. It was, it was so hard. And I didn't, I wasn't familiar. I didn't know what was going on. Right. And you know what it's like when you're, you, you enter parenthood and we always think we're going to be the perfect parent when we, when we don't have children, right? We all have these ideals, right? Mm-hmm. And then when things work out, you know, I, I was pretty, I had my ways with my girls and my girls, they fell in line very well. Um, 
And so everything I knew to do, and, and for me, my faith is just a huge piece of it. Everything I knew to do as like that good Christian mama, everything I was just trying to do, because I just wanted to do it right. You know, I mean, I think we all want to do well by our children and our, our families. Um, nothing, nothing works. And um, I started to become very isolated and alone. I felt very judged. And I, I now know a lot of that judgment was my own stuff. And, you know, I realize now so much of that was there, but we stopped getting invited places because I had this out of control child and, you know, I could go forever, but it was, it was really, it was very, very painful and very challenging for my girls. And, and I was so hard, so hard. So then, okay. So you have this little boy that has completely rocked your world. I also had one like that just for the record who just Everything I thought I knew about parenting turned it backwards. And I remember, I'll never forget the day that I said, I real, I understand how moms could hurt their children. Yes. Yes. And so many moms won't say that, but I remember sitting there with him because also scream nonstop. Yes. And yes. I remember, like, I'm going to cry as I'm thinking about this. I remember having so much compassion and empathy because I was there. So for you... So you're sitting in this place of isolation and you're, are you homeschooling at the time? Cause you're homeschooling your older too. Yep. Yep. How is your little ones at that time's behavior affecting your homeschooling routine and life in general? Everything, everything, everything. In fact, I mean, I, the one thing that I tried so desperately to do, and I think this is part of the tension of the whole process was I felt so horrible for my girls for what they were seeing and the, the, just the aggression. And they were seeing their mom, I'm going to cry, getting hit and bit and scratched and the screaming and I had no sleep. And it was, I felt so horrible for my girls because we made this choice and that's something else people don't talk about. We made a decision, right. To adopt this baby boy. And when you're in those broken moments and you know, and I'm so glad that you brought that up about the, you finally realized what, we're capable of how we can all get to that broken place. And that was a huge piece. And that's a huge part of my mission. And I appreciate that so much because it was like, I was so humbled by this child. And I just have such a heart for mamas who just feel shame and isolation and judgment, particularly in the homeschool community, because it tends to be, you know, a very faith-based community, which is a wonderful thing, but we have some out rules that are you know, now I know, mm, I'm not sure about that. You know, I'm not sure where it says that in the gospel. So all that to say, our homeschool routine. So what I did do for my girls, speaking to your point, is I tried desperately to keep everything as uh, routine as possible that was outside of the home. So for example, like our science co-op, co-ops and certain things that were part of our, our rhythm, our weekly rhythm, I did everything I could to not miss for them. So. I was bringing my boy kicking and screaming to go to science co-op desperately because I just wanted to give my girls that piece, which then adds to the, you know, my kids all over the place and I can't even help my girls. I can't be that mom that I was a year ago to love them, you know, to do the things with them as all the other moms were. So I will say the, the, those ladies were such a blessing in that time, but they didn't understand. And that's not their fault, but it just kind of added to my own isolation as I was just trying to do the best I could. 
Sorry for the emotions. That's a- <laughs> no, no. Here on a homeschool CEO, we're honest. We're authentic. You know, sometimes this is messy. Sometimes yeah, trying yeah. to homeschool, like it isn't always this beautiful bed of roses where everything looks Instagram worthy. Like sometimes we're in the trenches and it hurts and it's hard. Yes. And I've been there too. So no, you don't, don't apologize for that. That is real life. Like our moms need to know sometimes we have rough days. Yes. yes and that's okay. Yeah. So what steps did you take? I know you talk a lot about rather than saying every, you know, poor behavior is willful disobedience. Yes. How did you start to take that mind shift away from, man, this kid is a brat yes. to God created this child in this specific way for a different reason. Right. Well, I think what ended up happening is, and I talk about this in my book and I talk about this a lot because I feel like it was a pivotal turn for me was I remember during this really thick, hard, like the messiest of the seasons. And it probably, you know, I don't know how many months we hadn't, I hadn't slept, but I remember it was like this winter morning and the girls were, you know, just doing their best to just get what they could get done. And he was all over the place and he'd been screaming and everything. And I remember thinking, Oh my word, if I don't get help, my girls are going to lose their mom. And at the time it was just, I was so focused on like, my girls are going to lose me. And I remember thinking, I'm just, I remember, I remember realizing I'm waiting for this boy to get better. I don't know if it's going to get better because in my mind, it's like, it's the terrible twos or, and then I'm hearing all the voices telling me, oh, you're not being consistent enough. Did you try this? Did you try this? You're not being firm enough. You're, you're not praying hard enough. Like the whole, all this stuff. So it's cycling in my head. And what I realized that one morning I looked at my girls and he'd been screaming and kicking and it was just so awful. And I was like, I have got to do something. So I reached out to my tribe of mamas, I think all homeschool mamas. And I just said, someone get me the name of a Christian counselor. Cause I'm going to like lose my ever loving mind. And this, you know, and it was when I got into counseling, I remember no joke. It was probably four months before I even talked about my boy. That was what was so crazy to me. I had to really unpack. I mean, yes, I said, this is why I'm here, but it was like, every time I would get in with Amanda, I love her so much. Every time I would get in with her, it was like, we were just talking about stuff going on in my own head. And it it was, it was a time where God allowed me to really get to that broken place so that I could be real with the fact that I am so not perfect and I'm so hard on myself and I'm living up, trying to live up to ideals and expectations for myself as a woman and as a mother that, that aren't even my job, you know, that, that just, I had to get help for myself first. Then we started seeking and and in that journey started seeking help for my boy. We had already started speech and occupational therapy and uh, all those kinds of um, interventions. And it was kind of like a journey where as I started to learn more and I would just talk to like one of these speech therapists are like people that I love and they're like family now, you know, I just love these ladies and I would just talk to them and my occupational therapist and I'd learn and learn. And I just started reading and reading and reading and learning and learning and taking them. We eventually saw a developmental pediatrician. I don't know if you're familiar with like the difference. Okay. You are a lot of moms. A lot of moms aren't. So just to speak to that, like a developmental pediatrician is someone who's going to navigate the really tough situations. That's the only type of doctor that you would take your younger child to that might even possibly consider like medication or they deal with the real complex cases. And so as I learned and learned about what was going on with him, 
I realized, well, first of all, you know, he was exposed, he was exposed to things, you know, birth mother, just such a, she was just love, like I'm indebted to her forever because she was so, so broken and felt so bad about herself. And yet she just loved, wanted to do the right thing. But uh, I started realizing, I'll tell you this, it's 2 a.m. It was one of those awful nights. They were all awful. And I remember being so frustrated with this kid because he would leave his room and he would run up, run up to our room and, you know, he could escape the house at any time. Praise God for alarms. We had an alarm, right? And I remember going into his room and he had been in his room probably awake for an hour by himself, two hours, like talking, playing, right? He really was doing his best. And I remember I was so frustrated and I was angry at him because I was just so exhausted. And I remember standing there watching him banging his head on the pillow. I just remember him banging his head. And I was like, in that moment, it was like the scales fell. And I was like, oh my gosh, he is suffering. Like he wants to sleep, but he can't settle his mind. Like his mind was just spinning. And so as I started to learn more about the brain and understand cognitive differences and just how God's designed the brain and uh, just an understanding that this upper part of the brain, that oh, the prefrontal cortex, the area of the brain that houses executive functioning skills, those skills we use to override big emotions and help us to make wise decisions. All of this, this isn't even developed until the third decade of life. And then this child had even lagging executive functioning skills. He had even lagging. He had a, a brain that was in like hypervigilance mode, if you would, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so that shifted things for me where I started to realize, oh my word, all behavior, it's just a symptom of what's going on inside. And if I can help my child, if I can understand, the more and more I understand, the more equipped I am to help my child understand himself, understand his emotions, um, thoughts. Yeah. So I know I'm going on a tangent, but yeah. That's okay. Sometimes that's where the best conversations come up. And so, wow. So give us a practical example of what's, what are some steps that you took, some actions to start helping him to get to where you are today? But what, what was that first or second step that you took? Okay. So I would say um, one of the big things, and this is a huge sense, this is a very sensitive topic. And I'm very sensitive to it because I know what I believed before, right? I had to really tease through things that I said, I would never do this. You know, all the the self-righteous, prideful things that I thought before I experienced and right. But one of the things is it was when we saw the developmental pediatrician and she was so wonderful because she's just really partnered with us, you know, loved. She was very good about engaging. I, I'm going to always ask questions. That's just what I am. If I could be in school the rest of my life, you might be the same type of person. If I could be in school and for the rest of my life, I'd be in school because that's just fun for me. But we realized how important it was that I needed to get over my desire to keep my children never on medication. He needed medication in order to help him sleep. Um, I tried every supplement, every essential oil. You know, I did all the things and I had to let go of that belief or almost a lie that says a good mom does drug her kid because we use such powerful language in our culture and our world to shame other women, to shame people. And that's just not a God at all. And so our very first step was allowing this little boy to sleep. Wow. 
when we were able to allow him to sleep, give him just what he needed to sleep, whew, language started like, cause he had very, very little language. And to this day, he's very, he's definitely behind. In fact, I'm in the process of doing another speech and language eval just to kind of figure out where we are, start filling in those gaps. But language started. So because he was able to start talking, and, and I will say language started, but the other piece, which was really huge, is his ability to attend, to focus, because he was that child that like he was everywhere at all the time. I mean, like two seconds. I mean, it wasn't even two seconds. He had no attention span because he was so overstimulated internally, getting the sleep. So that was a big thing. And then as those words started to come, and I talk about this, I actually have a course right now that I just got out, brought out there. But part of it was I started really trying to provide him an emotional vocabulary. So really give him the words to be able to. So a lot of times you'll hear people say, like we'll, we'll say to our kids just in their culture, no, sir, you don't do that. Go to your room until you can learn how to behave. But the problem is, is that when we do stuff like that, we break relationship with the child. The child feels shame. And this happened to us. That's the only reason we can speak to it now. We're, we're just a bunch of adults that have fallen, have grown up this way. But when we send our kids to their room to, until they can learn how to behave, we've never taught them what's going on and how to behave. We, we, we've only told them everything that's going on internally. None of that matters. You better just show me on the outside. You better get it together. Shove it down because it doesn't matter. But that's a problem because we, we all know when we push, 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 push everything down because I'm going to get in trouble or no one wants to hear me. No one wants to know what's going on with me. I don't give it a, a, an outlet for adults. We need outlets. That's what our kids need. So I started providing him an emotional vocabulary. Buddy, I can see you're feeling really angry right now. Or you feel frustrated. Are you feeling frustrated? Wow. I remember the first day he used that word with me. He came into my room. He was angry at his sisters for something because he definitely struggles with a very low frustration tolerance and that rage piece, which we see a lot with kids that have executive functioning issues. Um, that rage piece is very much still, you know, we have to parent him very differently, but I remember the first day he came to me and he stomped in my room. He said, I feel frustrated. And I was like, oh, <gasps> Wow! Because we say, use your words, right? We yeah. always tell kids, use your words, but we never give them an understanding of what labeling, what that is. Yeah. You know, oh, you're feeling frustrated because you want to play with sister and she's ignoring you and she only wants to play with her friend. So it's like, I get that, buddy. I get that feels yucky. I understand even just connecting. So that emotional vocabulary and helping him understand that we all feel that way. And that big feeling he feels inside, that's when we, that's a big feeling. That's frustration or that's anger. And I feel it too. So that was super helpful for him and my girls and me like, Oh my goodness. So, you know, what you spoke to is so powerful because you spoke about shame and that's what, you know, our society, it's not just you as a parent. It's how we grew up. It's how our parents grew up. It's our culture. And I was actually, ironically enough, just listening to a podcast on this with Brene Brown yes. talking about how when we try to fit in, that's not belonging. That's telling ourselves and bringing self-shame on saying who we are is not good enough for who they want us to be. 
So when we send that child away, you're right, because we're not giving them the tools. Maybe we don't even have the tools. Exactly. That's the key. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I will tell you, we ended up in counseling too. Same thing, same journey. Yeah. Because I realized I didn't have the tools that I needed to parent my child. And you're right. There's so much shame around that. And then we just, we perpetuate that with our children because we don't know. And then we feel more ashamed because we don't want anybody else to know. Renee Brown was saying, one of the questions she asked is, what is one thing about you that you don't want me to know? That you don't want, and when you can answer that, because when we can rip away that shame and confront it, then we can step into our authentic self and we can help the next person. Mm-hmm. Right? Such freedom in that, such freedom in that. It's so crazy. But like you said, you know, part of that is acknowledging it and just saying, yeah, it, it was bad. It didn't, it wasn't good. I didn't have the tools. I had to go get the tools. Now let's help the next person who also doesn't have the tools. But that is such a powerful way to parent, to give the child the tools so that they have something in their toolbox to work with. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. And it's so funny. And I have to say this, whether we keep it or not, girl, the very first time, that very first counseling session that I had with my Amanda, I told you just about earlier, very first time she started talking about shame and Brene Brown. And it's just so funny that you would circle back to that because the first counseling session, she brought her up and she brought up the shame piece, but it was just a new concept, you know, and it has taken me a long time to realize how powerful of a force shame is. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a believer, like who wants us to feel shameful and we yeah. use it as a weapon in the church all the time, yes. we use it in the church all the time yes. because we we're just broken. We're just broken. Like, but we think we have it all together and that's ah, it's all based on shame. And we think that our the mom down the at the, down the, at the end of the aisle has it all together, or the mom that we see on Facebook or Instagram has it all together. I had somebody tell me a couple of weeks ago, "Oh, you're the founder of Homeschool CEO." Like they almost cowered to me, and I'm like, "Oh no, let me tell you, I've made lots of mistakes, like lots." And when we're able to be vulnerable and authentic, it gives the next person the freedom to be to raise their hand and say, you know, I'm struggling too, because we're all in this together. Like that's, that's why the homeschool CEO community is so powerful because we're all in it together. You know, even that shame you feel from running your business and not being able to attend to your child at that moment or vice versa, or maybe putting your business second because you're attending to your child at that moment. So yeah, I, I'm all like, I am so authentic and just, I'm just, transparent and say, yeah, things, sometimes things are great. And sometimes things are not. And we are, we got to work through that together. So coming back to like with your son, so you started to give him these tools and now he's, he's six now, correct? Just turned six. Uh huh. Okay. So now you're starting to teach him and how have you found teaching him is different than teaching your daughters? Well, first of all, I will say, I truly believe that my son entering our family has saved my children, saved oh, my daughters, saved so my, my older daughters, a hundred percent. I, I mean, I even see in my oldest daughter and I talk to her about it all the time about, I was, I was no ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I mean, I was so, I thought I was doing it right because it looked good on the outside and that's a good Christian mama has her kids behave right away. What? Are you crazy? Like, so all that to say that boy changed, not only 
how I parent my, my parent, my girls, but even how I teach my girls. I mean, how I taught my girls. I mean, everything has changed. He's changed everything. He has saved my middle daughter, my middle daughter. Um, I, I, I've been quieter about her because of her age, but my middle daughter now, I know we're almost positive. She's, um, an Aspie girl. She's on that high functioning autism. It's a very, um, unfortunately, that autism label, very few people understand it, that it is such a spectrum. And so it's just that, that quirky or, or just that child that likes things different, a little bit different. He saved her life because I was trying to force her, my more introverted, shy girl to be like her big sister and her mama who could talk to everybody and have, you know, I didn't understand her sensory needs. I didn't understand any of it. I just thought it was, so I want to speak to just say that boy has saved my middle and I see her flourishing now where several years ago she was struggling and I'm so grateful, so grateful because I'm just so grateful. So I not only teach him differently, (laughs) my girls like so differently, but yes, my boy, we just started kindergarten, right? Well, the first thing is, man, have I just relaxed, right? Like, have I just relaxed? You know, I'm like, I mean, I know every homeschool mom relaxes, but like one thing that, you know, my understanding of the brain, I mean, that's all I do, but in my past time, I just read all about, I read about trauma. I read about the, the neuroscience behind the brain, the neurodevelopment. I think to myself in 20 years ago, when I went to graduate school, I learned nothing about the brain and how it is, how it develops and evolves and how, um, and I use the word evolve in just it, not in a, you know, whatever, not going to go there, but you get what I'm saying it grows. And that I actually read a book called, and if you haven't read it, you'd probably love it. It's called the boy who was raised as a dog by Dr. Bruce Perry. By far, it's a book about trauma, mm-hmm. speaking to the shame. It's a book about trauma because everyone has experienced these, what they call little T traumas. Anything that you don't get a chance to process through and you push down over time will accumulate and cause that stress response. And, you know, uh, that shame piece, a lot of times is connected with it. But what I'm saying is, as I read this one book about trauma in the brain, because in the adoption community, you're going to find so many of our children that have been adopted have experienced severe trauma. And we only think of trauma as like Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. And while those veterans have experienced horrific things, and it's through like people that have been in combat or had severe issues that we started learning about trauma. We now know that it impacts people, pretty much everybody in some level. Understanding the brain through that book has made me a better teacher, has just completely different teacher. It has made me much better equipped to reach the child. So if my goal for my son is phonics right now, right? We're trying to work on learning to read. I have to, even though I buy the, you know, all about reading, which I love all about reading. It's a great, phenomenal program. Highly recommend it. But even that, I have to modify it in order to reach my goal of helping him learn. So I will have to be on the ground with his trains and manipulate, um, use his interests in order to get him enough interest so that I can get him focused enough to make those little baby steps. Um, So I'm constantly having to modify for him and I have to let go of, no, he has to obey. And he has to do it this way because this is the way everyone else has done it. But if I do that, 
then if you look at where, if you look historically where people were students that grew up in a traditional system of education, whether it be homeschool or public school, if you don't fit that mold, you're constantly trying to catch up and then it can spiral into, what did we just talk about? Shame. And if you feel bad about yourself, you never thrive. So I always have to think, what's my goal? My goal is to learn in this lesson. My goal is not to make my child sit at the table right now. We can practice that later, right? So it's always about adjusting to the goal at hand. If it's, if it's to learn these words, this phonic sounds, we're going to adjust in order to make that happen right now. And as his executive functioning skills grow, as he matures, these other things will happen, but he won't have the baggage of, I'm such a bad kid. I'm so bad because I can never do it the way big sister does it or the kid up the street does it. I, I hope I'm explaining that well. Um, I'm not at least give me grace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect because yeah. you're right. Because when we take away it's shame, I mean, that's where some of it starts taking away that expectation of, Oh, I'm not doing it as good as the neighbor kid. Who's the same age as me, you know, just taking away and letting him learn at his own rate. My youngest, we talk about it on the show and we t- I've talked to a lot of parents, you know, he's dyslexic. He didn't okay, learn perfect. to read until he was 10, uh-huh. but because he was our youngest and he, there's a huge um, age gap between him and our older three. He didn't realize the next one on the list. So number three in the lineup of four, he started reading at three, like reading chapter books, also an Aspie. So oh, he, I mean, you get it. Yes. Yeah, I totally get it. So he Yay. started, so I had these two totally opposite children one that was reading chapter books on his own at three and one that didn't read a word. I mean, it was, it was rough. And I remember crying at the table going, if this had been my first homeschooling child, I would have quit because I would have thought for sure I couldn't teach. And it wasn't that, but because he didn't have that shame of I'm not keeping up with all my peers. We just kind of sheltered him from that. Like every day, it was just about making progress and celebrating the journey celebrating the effort, celebrating whatever we could find to celebrate, because that's what eventually allowed him to push past that and read when he was 10. Exactly. Yes. I love that. Yes. And I love that you said the shelter piece because this, even that's a lie. Oh, but you want to shelter them. No, 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 no. I need to give my child what my child needs in this season in order to get him to the next step so that he can thrive as an adult. Yes. If you, if you shamed him or why can't you do this? He may not even be there right now. Wow. So good. Because it holds them back because then they start this rumination in their minds that says, I'm a loser. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart. Whatever they tell themselves, like we as adults say it to ourselves every, you know, that's, that's a real that started when we were children by something that happened. And if no, I am big on sheltering your child's mind. Yes. And their emotions. That's not sheltering their life. That is preparing them for adulthood to give them a firm foundation so that they can face the world. Amen. Yes. Yes. And I, 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 uh, I talk about this a lot too, about um, casting a vision for your child. Yes. Because what our children continually hear through childhood is what they take with them into adulthood. And that's what concerns me about our outside the box kids in the traditional system. These kids are experiencing, you want to talk about trauma. These kids are experiencing so much trauma. And we think school resistance, like these kids that are, you know, being sent to therapy or, you know, told that they're bad because they're what they call it school resistance now. No, these kids are in fight or flight and they are trying to survive. It is, and it's just so 
heartbreaking to see so many children being forced on this mental health hamster wheel that literally goes with them the rest of their lives. And then they just, we see, I, there's one stat that I use in my course and I, it's just about ADHD-like behavior. Just, you don't even have to have a diagnosis. Just the behaviors of that impulsive, wiggly, or uh, the kid that struggles to transition, just the behaviors and the long-term implications, you know, uh, pregnancy rate, both boys and girls, we know that they're both involved, even though the girl doesn't, is the only one that gets pregnant. Right. Pregnancy rate is more, is doubled. Uh, they talk about substance abuse. Um, the, it's just the outcomes are so poor for these kids. Alcoholism, you know, broken marriages. We, we, we don't even, we feel so bad about ourselves. These kids feel so bad about themselves and they've lived it their whole lives. So it's like, you can't just undo that. You, you, you work, you know, you can't, you can do things to work at it. And I just speak to that because we're the adult population that knows that, you know, we know that feeling. So sorry to go off on that, but man, it just breaks my heart for so many kids. And I'm so grateful to you. That testimony that you just said, very rare that people talk about that. And it's huge. Yes. I can let people judge me for sheltering my kid. Fine. That's fine. I don't need to worry about what you think anymore. Anyways, I, I just, I love that you speak to that. That's a huge, huge piece. Well, I love what you said though, about out of box thinkers, because they are, you know, one of the things that we talk about, and I always, you'll always hear me say, some of my best friends are public school teachers. So I don't bash the public school system. It's a broken system, but I don't bash it because they are doing, they are some phenomenal teachers. So I always, I always want to like put that caveat whenever I say something about traditional schooling. Yes. But the fact is that it praises conformity and punishes out of the box thinkers. You know, it happened to me and that was, you know, 40 years ago. And it's still happening today when a child is thinks differently than whatever that norm is. It's labeled as I have one child who was the one I ended up in counseling for, um, was labeled as oppositional defiance disorder. But do you know what? I remember saying, and think I'm so thankful for the counselor that God gave us at that time, because he said, hold tight mom, because these children change the world. And that, that child, he's had two traditional jobs. He's walked out on both of them but he is a successful. And when I'm saying successful, he's about to pay cash for his first house. 21 year old running his own businesses because he has the energy to work from sunup to sundown. He is, he's also the Aspie who, when yes. he wants to master something, he is a hundred percent in oppositional defiance possibly, but guess what? He doesn't, he's never done drugs or any of that stuff because when he makes a decision, that decision is a hundred percent. He is in and you do not move him. <laughs> well, exactly. That is it. That's like my message. This is what I talk about all the time is that we label it oppositional defiance because they're not doing what we want. But doesn't that just make us stuck and stubborn, just as stubborn and oppositional? If we can't be willing as adults to shift our thinking that maybe, just maybe, these kids were designed this way to change the world. Yeah. Like, what? Yes. 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 And he was my child at 16. He said, I'm done with school. And I was like, no, no, no. And he brought me all of the statistics. He's like, mom, look at how many billionaires dropped out of school at 16. I'm with them. They're my people. And I remember the 
embarrassment. This is something that we've never talked about on the podcast yet. Oh, I'm so happy you're talking about it. I love every it. mom, every homeschool mom ever said, I want my kids to go to college. Now I don't feel that way anymore. But you know, but that's like the hallmark of I did a good job. Right. And I had this 16 year old that said, screw school. I'm done. Even unschooling. Like he was just done. He was done following anybody else's expectations of him. And I remember being so embarrassed and so like, oh my goodness, I'm, this is number three at this point. I'm like, I'm, I'm a failure. Like my kid dropped out of school, but then I realized he didn't, you know, he's still, he was still home. He was still learning. It just was a little more relaxed of homeschooling. And he ended up taking some college classes. He traveled around the world. Like he did all these amazing things that if I would have let myself fall into this hole of I failed because my child did not perform in the way that I thought in society thought he should. But until you have a child like that, until you have a child like your little boy that rocks your world and goes, you go, okay, and take your hands off and say, my job is to guide this child and to help them discover their potential of who they were put on this earth to be. And those most difficult children, like we just said, are the children that will change the world They because they do things in a different way. So they're going to get different results. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, yes, I love hearing this. I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm so excited. Like, yes, this is like the, my mission. I love this. I love this. It's, ah, it's crazy. Woo, I'm so happy for your boy. <laughs> but you know what? There were rough times. Of course. Yeah. Much, much like you raising your little boy, there were tough times. So, okay. So now that you've been kind of down this road and you've been homeschooling a while and you have your business and you have your course that just came out, what would you say to a mom who right now is in the trenches, who's dealing with that maybe six to eight year old, that's just all over the place. And they feel like they're behind and the kid's not learning. And they're just feeling so frustrated trying to maintain this front and trying just to keep going? Like, what would you say to them? I would definitely say to her to just take a step back and really examine what it is that her long-term goal is for her child and to, and to really examine and her own motivations, right? Because you just said it, you felt embarrassed, right? That's a lot of it, what it is. It's our own desire for approval of others. And what happens, we don't realize it. We don't realize it. But in our mind, we think it's only supposed to be this way. So like it's a lot of times I'll work with moms that are pulling their children out of the traditional system um, because they're just flailing. Or it's a mom that's been trying to do the traditional way at home and then broke relationships breaking, right? And so I would, I would offer to say, take a step back and really examine what your motivation is and what your goal is for your child. If your goal is to get this child who is standing in front of you to be a healthy, um, well-functioning, if, if you're a believer, like love the Lord, love others, right? If that's my goal, and if I'm constantly trying to force everything, to force everything. That's not going to work. And it's going to break relationship. And speaking to the faith piece, this was huge for me as a believer was understanding that I am not supposed to control my child. We say you're not, we say as adults, you can't control anyone but yourself. But on the other side of our mouths, 
we say, you better get control of your child. You better get things under control. So mom is like this and like literally going crazy with the dichotomy of conflicting beliefs in her head. Really, she believes she's supposed to control her child, right? Because that child's a reflection of her, even within the church. But God, he's the only one. This was huge for me. God was the only one, is the only one that could actually have the power to control another human being. And yet he chooses not to, and he chose to enter into relationship with broken people that weren't behaving well, right? At least behaving the way that we think you're supposed to behave and enters in relationship with us, a safe relationship. And then we slowly start to change and listen to him and are able to be influenced by him because we feel safe in relationship with him. And so I always say my number one thing, I have like these four steps in the course, relationship, emotional vocabulary, physical input. Um, and that has to do with like the brain and sensory needs and then shifting attention. First thing is always relationship first. Focus on your ability to influence your child as opposed to trying to control your child. And when our kids feel safe with us and they know we're in their corner, that's when we can start working with them to say like, hey, like my middle, my daughter, hey girl, this is not working. You're clearly not interested in this. So there are certain things we have to get done. She doesn't see me as badgering her anymore because I've invested so much in our relationship now. So now it's like a team effort, team effort, you know, like, like, how could we do this? Let's, if, if you don't want to use this particular writing program, even though mommy loves it so much and I talk about it all the time, right? If you don't want to use this, let's, what do you, what do you want to write about? Let's talk about what you want to write about. And then we'll figure out a way to make it work. Part like teamwork, right? Mm-hmm. That's the relationship first. Everything else will fall into place as it's supposed to, right? As God, if you're a believer, and that's kind of where I have to just really lean into him. Like he tells me to love, 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 love. And doesn't look like we let them run us over, but it, it lets us help us to remember my first priority has to be a relationship and relationship only comes when we feel safe and we feel valued. So though I tell a lot of moms, especially the ones that have kids with the oppositional defiance, which tends to happen with our autistic kids, right? And or our kids with ADHD. No, they like things that are different than you like, but you're the adult. So if you want to connect with that child, You're going to have to lay down what you want to do, use your executive functioning skills in order to reach the goal of let me reach my child's heart because my child is young and he needs to feel loved and safe and valued apart from his behavior, apart from his performance. Does does that make sense? So you have a son who's oppositionally defiant. Maybe he's getting that from mom or dad. Maybe that's really kind of, you just fell in line. Maybe you need to just spend some time sitting with your boy and playing video games and asking him questions as he plays or just listening to him or just be with him. Mom says, well, I don't want to play video games. Well, that's how your child feels about school. Like it's the same thing. Like just love them. We, we lay our lives down for others and that's what we need to do sometimes. So that's been really helpful for me. Relationship first. Do I do it perfectly, Jen? <laughs> I, I so understand. I have so been there. Oh, what a great thing to leave with our mamas today. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Um, tell our audience where they can find you online. Okay. Well, you can find me at students.com is my website. And then you can find me on Instagram and um, Facebook. I prefer, I'm starting to like Instagram a little bit more and I have them, um, you know, Pinterest. I like to really um, doing a lot of content that's related to a lot of what you and I are talking about. And I did just start a podcast and I want to have you on my podcast because I did not know how much we had in common 
in this area. Oh my word, we could talk forever. So um, I do have a podcast and um, you can just go to aheartforallstudents.com and find everything there. So yeah. Perfect. And we'll put all of those links too in the show notes so everybody can connect. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been fantastic. So fun. Thank you so much. Hey friend, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in today. If you loved what you heard, please be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I really appreciate it. And for more information on connecting with other homeschool CEOs just like you, be sure to check out our website at www.homeschoolceo.com. And as always, Team Homeschool CEO, you ladies inspire me. Thank you for always showing others what is possible. You guys are awesome. See you next week.